0: I'm I'm amongst legends, Um, these are three incredible women that have had a professional impact for me. Uh, Some personally as well, they're very close friends of mine. So it was just a no brainer. What does it mean
1: to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals from around the world. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort.
2: Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. We're excited today to have a great new idea that came to me from Magda Robertson, who's general manager of Torrance Connect, a former guest here on Transit Unplugged, to put together some of the top women leaders in public transportation in Australia. This is uh, kind of a watershed moment for us here. Magda, thank you so much. What made you think of doing this?
0: Oh, um, God, you know, I'm I'm amongst legends. Um, These are three incredible women that have had a professional impact for me, uh, some personally as well. They're very close friends of mine. So it was just a no-brainer. Uh, we've never really had the opportunity to have an all-female panel uh, and it's just a no-brainer and I really uh, would love to do a bit of an Australia-wide conversation so clearly everyone is from three different states. Uh, and it's just exciting to hear what everyone's paying gains uh, in the industry at the moment.
2: So we do have a number of guests on the program today. And um, Magda, why don't you why don't you play co-host for a minute and introduce your friends Are you invited to be on the show? Go ahead, or you can have them Absolutely. introduce whatever you a want to pleasure. do.
0: It. First yeah. up is uh, Catherine Baxter, uh, who's the chief operating officer uh, of MTM. Catherine, I worked, I had the pleasure of working for Catherine, uh, and she's incredible. So thank you for joining, Catherine. Uh then thank we've you. got Bob and Michelle's an executive director. Uh, Again, I've had a lot of interactions with Michelle and I completely respect her. Uh, She's very uh, recognised in the industry. Uh, And Sam Abadira, who uh, I've also had the pleasure of um, coming up the ranks in Sydney Trains. Uh, We've worked together for many years uh, and I love her. Uh, We've, uh, you know, on a professional, on a personal level, uh, we've had many conversations, some of the challenges we've had in our career, some of the wins, a lot of the wins we've had in our career. Uh, So thank you, Sam, for joining us as well.
2: All right. And then uh, Magda Robertson, who was just talking, is the general manager of Torrance Connect. Uh, So we have four wonderful uh, leaders from the public transit industry, really superstars in Australia. And uh, I just wanted to give each of them a chance to kind of tell us a little bit about themselves. And then we're going to dig into kind of their career roles, how they got to where they were at, kind of advice for other uh, folks in the industry who want to move up, especially for ladies who want to move up in the industry. So I'd like to start with Michelle Batts, who's a good friend of mine. Michelle, thank you for being on the show today.
3: Paul, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm delighted to be with this panel. And I've got to say, I'm so passionate about promoting women, hearing from women and their stories, um, and so excited to be here. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I just kind of reflect on, you know, what I do And what really motivates me, Um, I'm the executive director of the International Association of Public Transport, otherwise known as UITP for Australia and New Zealand. So I look after this region and we exist to promote and advocate public transport. So we have members around the world from government, industry, operators, suppliers, universities, and we work together to share knowledge exchange ideas and really promote best practice in public transport. So it's awesome that I'm on a transport podcast. I think we're all fighting for the same cause. um, And yeah, really excited for the conversation.
2: That's great. And you also are host of your own podcast. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, thanks, Paul. So as I said, promoting women and inspiring younger women is one of the key things that really drives me in my career and in my personal life as well. So Last year in 2020, the COVID impact really provided us with an opportunity to think differently. I'd wanted to do a podcast for about two years and never found the time. And because I was locked down at home, no longer traveling to different cities each week, I thought, all right, we have the time to do it. And so um, with my small team based in Australia, we launched a podcast, Women Who Move Nations, which interviews senior female transport leaders based around the world. To hear about them, their story, and how they're moving nations. And so it's great to be collaborating with you today um, and to really share the stories of women in transport.
2: And we're going to be kind of co promoting this show between our podcasts and make it kind of a joint effort uh, because it is such an important topic. I was talking uh, to the ladies just before we went on the air about how we're in the US. I've been in the industry here for 33 years. And um, traditionally, the senior positions at transit agencies we're all men. Uh, it just was the case. And it's it's really changed over the last five to 10 years here in North America, where many more women are getting the opportunity to kind of move up the ranks and move into these senior executive positions, which is awesome. Uh, and I think they bring um, so many different facets to these positions. Uh, and I, that's what I hope to dig into today, uh, how um, uh, their career roles and how they got to where they were going. And also, Uh, How they view the industry. I can't wait to dig into this a little bit more. But thank you, Michelle, for getting this kicked off. Samantha Abadira, who is the executive director of strategy um, and uh, an strategic operations, sorry, at the uh, transport for New South Wales, uh, which is uh, in uh, the great city uh, that a lot of people see the iconic figure in the back of Sydney of being, you know, the opera house, the Sydney opera house. But there's so much more to Sydney than just the opera house, although it's pretty cool. Ben and I went there as well, as well. I took my daughter with me. It was amazing. But Samantha, welcome to the show and tell us a little about yourself and what you do there. Thank you, Paul.
1: So I've returned to transport um, just recently and the strategic operations function has been created to really integrate the entire ecosystem. It's what drew me back to transport, just the opportunity to really plan and optimise a multimodal network. I had been the director of Sydney Trains previously and transport just got into my blood. I came from a legal background and had worked in advisory and the first time I got into transport, I just really felt like I'd come home and that's where I wanted to be because transport was there to serve the entire community and Like the others on the panel, I think I just became really, really committed to building teams that reflect the community that we serve. When I started as the Director of Train Crew, I would walk into rooms and I would look for Magda because it would be 20 men and then Magda and myself, and that was something that I had seen change so much over the last decade. So now that I'm back in transport, I see a very different ecosystem. I see lots of women who are leaders who are making decisions for. Communities that are diverse, and that's really important to me. But more than anything, I just think there's such a good opportunity with the teams that we've got now to really drive things forward, especially out of COVID, where we're just seeing accelerated learning and how do we actually get better at being agile and doing this. So that's what my role entails, and I'm really loving it. That's awesome.
2: Well, thanks for being with us. We, uh, Samantha and I and Ben, actually had a conversation what just a couple of weeks ago about how to integrate. Uh, the different modes of transportation. I know we did a show with UITP about that recently. Thank you. And then Catherine Baxter, thank you so much for being with us. Catherine is Chief Operating Officer of Metro Trains Melbourne. Tell us a little about yourself and what you do there, Catherine. Thanks, Paul.
4: Um, Well, I've been in rail uh, a a little bit less than you, but just over 30 years. Uh, And I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Metro Trains in Melbourne. So I'm responsible for the day-to-day operations of all the passenger trains uh, in the suburban area. So we've got around about 3,400 dedicated people making sure that those trains are moving our passengers every day. Uh, 222 stations, just under 1,000 kilometres of track. We operate seven days a week. Um, on the weekends, Fridays through Sundays, we're 24-7. Um, and we've got 240-odd trains to our fleet of six and seven seven car trains Uh, And I say 240 odd because we're getting new ones uh, into our fleet all the time at the moment, which is really exciting, new new generation trains, HCMTs. Um, And pre-COVID, we were running about 880,000 passenger journeys a day. Sadly, with COVID and the lockdowns that we've had, those numbers are right down, but uh, but we're continuing to keep our trains operating um, to support those essential service workers that have been moving around. Uh, and at the same time as operating railway, we're also uh, building assets and integrating them into a railway, which is, um, which is a bit of a, a challenge. Um, the government committed to 85 uh, level crossing removals uh, and we've delivered 47 of those, uh, which is pretty exciting, and, and some of those come with new stations for our passengers, which is terrific. And uh, in the process of building two nine-kilometre tunnels and five new stations, uh, in the CBD area. So there's a lot of expansion and growth going on. And part of our challenge is we're building a railway while trying to operate a railway. Uh, and that integration is um, is exciting, but challenging.
2: Very good. Um, in the next round of questions, I'm going to ask each of you uh, to tell me like what you do on a a given day, you know, kind of walk me through what your day looks like, what your day to day operations, because I don't get the opportunity too often, uh, Catherine, to interview a chief operating officer. So I think it'd be interesting for folks to see what does a COO do in a transit system? What does a strategic, you know, directions operator do like you do? And then uh, Magda, tell us what you do day to day, introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us what you do day to day. Like what's a day look like for a general manager of what you do?
0: Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it, it depends on the day, right? But uh, traditionally, uh, I, we come in quite early, ladies. You, you all know, um, particularly Sam, seven thirty. I think our reliability meetings are on, so you, you tend to really come in early. It's one of those, um, you know, jobs where you really need to find out what the day's about. So I come in quite early. I talk to my team, my leadership team. Uh, I get a report daily. Uh, I look at that report probably about six o'clock. Um, so my day starts with a run, but I'd get there, <laughs> um, and then as, so, as I sit down for my coffee, and, and you know this is the world when you're in transport, it just doesn't stop. Uh, so when I do sit down for my coffee at six o'clock in the morning, I open up my twenty four hour daily report, which captures the whole incidents for the day, uh, and that report will tell me my reliability, how many services I cut on that previous twenty four hours, and then it'll capture every single uh, incident, uh, in not in detail. Uh, But I'll tell you about that later. So I I get a bit of a feel of what what the previous 24 hours was. And then I get a bit of a feel of what questions do I ask my team when I have my Viz meeting, Uh, visual management meeting, VMC or Viz in Melbourne, I believe. Um, And that happens at 10 o'clock. So I come in, uh, you know, I check the 150 emails that you traditionally get. Um the, the, the difference with my job is I look after two different modes. So I look after the light rail and I look after the buses for the uh, north-south uh, contract. So that's quite a big area. Uh, so- should, let me
2: let me introduce you, Magda. Uh, I mean, interrupt you. So I think we should tell folks that so you uh, operate in Adelaide, right? I wanted to get right. that out yeah. because we didn't say that yet. Yes. And then also I wanted to say that you work for a contractor. You don't work directly as an agency. So, th- so the role you have... Uh, is for and, and tell us a little bit about how all that works too. I'm sorry, I won, but I wanted to make sure I got that in. Sure.
0: Uh, so, yes, Paul. So, I'm the general manager um, for Torrance Connect. Torrance Connect is a franchisee. Uh, we won the contract in Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide has just franchised all its public transport, including buses, heavy rail, uh, and light rail. The contract that I manage is the uh, north-south contract, which incorporates the light rail and buses. Heavy rail is a separate contract. Uh, and obviously I, I run them both networks, uh, which is which is quite interesting because, uh, you know, it, it's quite challenging running both uh, tr- transport modes. Uh, people often ask me, uh, what's your favourite? I don't have a favourite. They're like your the two kids. You don't pick a favourite. Uh, they all both serve their purposes. Um, So, yeah, I come in, uh, 100 emails, uh, previous events, uh, and then at 10 a.m., right after the peak hour, what I try not to do is have meetings during the peak hours. So uh, I block out my uh, calendar for the a.m. and the p.m. peak. I really want to be available because uh, it's quite reactive. When incidents do happen, uh, I don't want the stress of having to juggle my meetings. I I make it quite clear to my leadership team the focus is on the a.m. and p.m. peak. Uh, I'm very operationally focused. Uh, So is the contract. Uh, You know, I wear two hats. I've got to provide a network that meets the contractual obligations. And then I've also got the strategic hat where uh, how do I improve the network? What's the efficiencies within the contract to, uh, one, continue the contract then improve the network? Uh, The VMCs that we have every day at 10 a.m., this is the bit that is really critical. This is the bit where... I can put my hand on my heart and say we do everything in the day uh, to maximise our performance. Uh, I can tell you in the previous 12 months our performance has probably risen by 10% just for the pure fact that we focus on the daily incidents. Uh, You know, we get down to every nitty-gritty of that incident, whether it's it's infrastructure or passenger fall or, or ill passenger. We look at everything. We look at the response. We look at the uh, preventative measures. How do we prevent this from happening again? Um, so that's probably the gist of my morning um, right after the AMP. Uh, then it's just meetings, client meetings, client engagement. It's really important to maintain that relationship. One thing I've learned, uh, you know, I was the client for 15 years. Uh, then I worked as the for the client in Melbourne and now I do that in, in Adelaide. And the critical piece in that is uh, that relation straight up about Adelaide we were quite blessed because it was a brand new contract so we really got to uh, go in establish the relationships before we did the transition uh, and it's continued really well but it's a really critical piece. so my day is about managing the client, managing the client expectations and delivering. So if the client rings me for something, uh, I get the answer within that day I don't keep them mate waiting. Uh, then we've got the PMP uh, just as critical if not more so because people just want to get home. Uh, people are sometimes okay to arrive late at work. because They can say to their boss, or oh, my tram was delayed or my bus had a breakdown. Uh, when it's going home, it's a very different ball game. very different management skills there. Um, yeah. So that's my day. That's a day.
2: That's good. And what, about what time do you wrap up? I know that your day is never really done because when you're a GM or you have operating responsibilities, yeah. like what time do you leave the office normally?
0: So sometimes I really curse uh, Apple for inventing mobile phones. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess my day sort of winds up around Adelaide's funny because Adelaide traffic's just next level. People are really surprised about this. So uh, I try to kind of miss the, the peak of um, of the traffic. So I leave the office. I have two offices. I have the, the depot office and the city office. I try to leave the depot around 4-ish, hit the city office because I live in the city. Um, and then sort of wait out the, the sort of peak, afternoon peak. Um, but, you know, my day doesn't stop till I hit the pillow because even right before, um, you know, my sleep hygiene, which is terrible, FYI, uh, I'm still on my mobile scrolling through to see if there's anything yeah. there, And then I go to bed. But, you know, it's operations. Catherine, how often right. did we try and cause a Yeah, that's 11? what I,
2: I wanted to go that direction next. But I just wanted to make the point that when you're a GM, Your day is normally, what I have seen is 12 hours a day at, you know, around the daily work. And then you have all the other stuff. Knowing just what you said, that really it consumes your life and operations. And you didn't even talk about, Catherine, why don't you tell us a little about the stresses that are on you? Because as a COO, you're almost always putting out fires, metaphorically speaking, right? That is
4: very true, Paul. I think you're only as good as your last peak is the way I'd describe it, be it AM or PM peak. Um, and never have the same day. Uh, each day is different. Yeah. But that's pretty exciting too. I guess being a COO, you get to straddle the day-to-day plus though the strategic, which is exciting for me. So if I think about my day, if I think about just today, so I was up at 5.15 like Magna, um, got, uh, got onto the treadmill for an hour just to um, to start out the day with a bit of exercise. Oh, good for you by seven thirty, um, met with uh had my first meeting for the day at seven thirty with one of my gms my gm for operations um we're doing this this morning i've got my weekly meeting uh at 10 uh, and we'll talk about the um the things that week to week as a as a team we need to be focusing on for the railway we we focus in three time horizons if i can put it that way The day-to-day, I run a, a 12, 30 performance call, which looks at the last 24 hours and then forward looks to the next 24 hours around performance for our network. I then look weekly at what are the things we need to be driving weekly to improve the network, and then we have a monthly day where we deal with the strategic issues. So, we're talking about the next 12 months, two years, and how we're going to continue to improve our performance and integrate the assets into the network. Uh, This afternoon, like Magda, I'll be interfacing with some of our um, stakeholders at the Department of Transport here in Melbourne. We're a private company uh, with this franchise, so we've got three shareholders, John Holland, UGL and MTR, Um, and I need to balance my shareholder interests uh, in in driving our our financial performance uh, but also deliver for our, our customers, the passengers, and our stakeholders in DOT. So I'll be thinking about all of those strategic type issues as well as the day-to-day. Um, I'll finish up probably around about 6 o'clock tonight and head home. Um, I'll drag my very forgiving wife out for a quick walk, which is a great opportunity to get a little bit more exercise and also download, uh, grab a bite to eat and then bang into the emails that I didn't get to today. Yep. Uh, probably fall into bed somewhere about 9.30, 10. My phone does go off during the night. Um, So I get all the notifications for our network, um, the serious ones. Uh, So, yeah, I'll I'll get those and and check in. But I've got a very good operational team that will deal with a lot of those. It's only if it's a very serious issue. So we we do have things go wrong and we're always focused on how do we get the services back for our passengers as quickly as possible um, and minimise the downtime of the network. So it can be consuming. So when you get (laughs) home... It doesn't yeah. sound like you have time to kick your feet up for two or three hours of sitcoms on TV, huh? No. I do have a guilty pleasure. While I'm doing some emails, I will sometimes sit in front of the TV and watch Australian Survivor.
2: Oh, and yeah. A bit of that love love Survivor.
4: Stuff. So there is a bit of balance in there.
2: That's good. All right. That was great, Kath. And thank you for that, like, deep dive into what you do. Now, I want to shift gears just slightly because Samantha is in uh, strategy. So so we've gone from kind of like the day-to-day operations, the strategy, and then I'm going to ask Michelle to give us the future. What is the future of public transportation? So, uh, but, but Samantha, tell us about what is strategy? Why do you need it in a public transit agency?
1: You know, kind of tell us what you do. Thanks, Paul. So strategic operations is really in Sydney. We're looking at how we actually lift upstream in terms of operations to actually look at the fact that $72 billion has been spent on amazing infrastructure, but how do we optimise and integrate it to give customer and community the best experience of public transport and just making it such an easy city to navigate? So i I worked in operations previously, so my last two roles, I was in a COO role and then in the director of train crew role, and I, I feel like it's just amazing that People don't burn out more because I, I too, it was just that whole thing of you're constantly on, you live by your phone. But this role is very different in that there are leads for all of the operators, but I'm the common thread um, to help bring them together for actual planning around optimization and improvement. So what we do is we I'm I'm very like intelligence and data-led. So I look at the data for a holistic network. So all of the modes will be looking at how are they performing day on day, but I'm looking at how does our ecosystem perform. So quite similarly, I get my reports at 6am. I have a look at all of the data that tells me about how many customers are we moving, what's our occupancy and utilisation like, what are our connections like, what are, what's the voice of customer telling us. And then I use that data because I can see a whole of network picture to inform my conversations with the different modes. So this morning I've spoken with buses about, okay, we've got overcapacity services in these regions. What are we doing to actually look at how we uplift those services? Or it might be that we're starting to see that the connections aren't as seamless between light rail and trains and so we're having the conversations and bringing those operators together to really think about how we get a better integrated approach um my role also looks after how do you actually when things go wrong on the network how do you actually recover a multimodal network so where in the past there might be an issue with the trains how do we from a whole of network perspective now actually set up the right structures to ensure that we don't compound issues on other modes when trains go into distress or buses or roads go into distress so my role looks at setting up a multimodal incident management framework and committee that we've got working at the moment but then also being the link for operations and the voice of operations in technology. So. We've got a really large technology um, group within transport. And it's something that our, you know, our minister, our secretary, our executive, everyone is so committed to using digital improvement to get customers a better experience, but also to optimize our network. So I'm the voice of operations um, across all of those modes in technology, where we're really looking at our data to understand. What are the problems that we have that we actually need to solve? And then working with technology and that team on how are you going to solve this? What are, you know, what is the right systems design? What's the right implementation for an operational area? And then I also have the strategy and transformation group. So at the moment, we've got all of our modes together with our COO for Greater Sydney, Howard, with our Depsec, Meg. And we're really working through what is the actual strategy for Greater Sydney Operations now that everybody's on board for us to be able to move into that. So it's it's a really interesting role because it feels like there's there's the same kind of pressure and fun that you get out of operations where you just get addicted to that pace, but there's also the opportunity to not have to be the person who is responsive for every single thing. And I get some time to kind of try and bring people upstream into, well, how do we actually use our learnings out of these experiences to solve and plan so that next time it doesn't actually happen in this way?
2: What an important role. You're synthesizing all those lessons from operations, it sounds like, and coming up with recommendations for improvement going forward. And then you, then you have those discussions with our friends like Howard Collins, the Chief Operating Officer, and others about actually implementing them, right? That's a great role. And your background, Sam, is great for that. Having worked in operations, I'm a real strong believer in you need to start with the nuts and bolts and understand that well and work your way up. You know, if you start right at the top, you'll never really understand how to make things better. And so it's wonderful you had that experience. And and, uh, the benefit that brings to the people of Sydney is just amazing. Now let's talk from a national viewpoint. Michelle oversees uh, UITP for the whole uh, nation of Australia and New Zealand. Michelle, tell us a little about what you do and then tell us where you see things going. I mean, you've really got your finger on the pulse of where things are going, especially there in Australia, but even globally. Tell us what you think is happening um, right now and what you see coming after you tell us a little about yourself and what you do.
3: Great, thanks, Paul. So it's really interesting to reflect on my fellow panelists' days and, and what they do. Mine's very different. i got to say every day I have is a different day, but I love that because I love the variety. I don't start at 7.30. Indeed, a lot of my meetings happen into the evening, right, because I'm speaking to people all over the world. So on occasion when I'm speaking to Canada or the US, it will be early in the morning. Um, But often I'm having meetings right into the evening. So I, uh, as I said earlier, focused on sharing knowledge and helping our members improve public transport. And so I might be talking to the media one day. We're reviewing global ridership statistics Um, running events, and that might be, you know, smaller networking events, it could be webinars, we could be holding a major conference, really focused on sharing knowledge and exchanging ideas. And of course, coaching and mentoring my team, right, to make sure that they have what they need to be making that larger contribution. Um, And, you know, we're really focused on that and really proud of the work that we do. Um, I got to say, you know, the future of transport, it's a really interesting topic and become really pertinent given what we're seeing with the impacts of COVID um, and, of course, completely unprecedented its impacts on public transport networks around the world. And look, certainly some people are saying the future of public transport is under threat. We've seen a big move to cars and we've seen this in different cities from Paris to Melbourne to Auckland, you know, in Australia and New Zealand. We're already car cities, let alone the regional areas, right, which heavily rely on cars, Um, and we have seen a move to that. But personally, and I feel very strongly about this, I am excited because I think the future of public transport is bright. Actually, COVID has given us an opportunity to innovate and pivot, and we've seen some fantastic innovations come out of that. And I think that there will continue to be a really big focus on how we can improve public transport networks, the customer experience, more integrated journeys. And I think very importantly as well, there will come a time where I think that there is a mass understanding that we cannot keep contributing to climate change, to poor air quality, and to challenges with livability that we see with congestion um, by all getting in our cars, right? So, you know, I think the dream in Australia, you know, traditionally has been, you've got two cars parked in the driveway, uh, you know, with the white picket fence out front and that you live in a suburban area. And to be honest, in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, where I live, um, there isn't necessarily always good public transport connections. I think that's going to change. We're going to see adaptation of services, flexible services, you know, already starting to see trials of on-demand transport. And in some cities, that's actually been really successful. I think we'll see more of that. And I think really importantly, we're going to see a large focus on transitioning to zero emission transport, electric buses, hydrogen trains. This thing is going to become a reality. We're seeing that already in cities around the world. Shenzhen, China has led the way in, in terms of moving their buses to electric with what I think sixteen thousand, um, and so you know we've got commitments in London, in Sydney to move fleets, large fleets, eight thousand buses in in New South Wales um, by twenty thirty to zero emissions. So I think that's really exciting. And I think the one other thing I want to mention is that from ridership levels, you know they've dipped during COVID, but I think we can now see the glimmer that they will return, but they might look different. So. Paris, Auckland, Germany, we're seeing nudging above 70%. China, above 80 to 90%. Now, we might not get everyone back. It might not look the same. But actually, I think the opportunity is if we get 80% of people back and Professor Graham Curry at Monash University based in Melbourne, he's a world leader in public transport research, his modelling suggests that we can expect about 80% of riders back in Melbourne. The opportunity for Authorities for operators is how can we get a new twenty percent? How can we attract people who maybe never used to use public transport, and now there is an opportunity? I think to do that by providing a compelling service and a service that competes with the car because it's convenient and a mode of choice.
2: A great spokesperson for the uh, for the industry, Michelle. That's really good. I'm really passionate. Yeah. I, I can tell. And it's wonderful. I, 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 As you know, I share that passion for our industry. And I, I, just to build on what you said for a moment about the future. So I, I really think you point out the fact that the future of transportation is really now wrapped up into societal goals, maybe more than it ever was before. Now I want to shift. Uh, we have about 10 or 15 minutes left. Let's shift the uh, the tone of the conversation now more from the industry to you personally. And what I want to ask each of you, if you can tell me basically is, you know, in in three, four minutes at at the most, if you could, tell me a little about the journey into your role, what attracted you to transport as an industry, and what motivates you to stay in the industry? Some of you have just told me about how hard your jobs are, you know, you're not complaining, you're just telling me, you know, so what what motivates you to stay in the role? So let's start off with Magda, we'll go back to the top of my Brady Bunch screen, and and, and ask Magda, um, since this was your idea, tell us about that, a little bit about your journey, what attracted you to the industry, and what motivates you to stay here?
0: Um, yeah, you know what? I've got a funny story. I fell into transport, and I think when I talk to a lot of people, um, they have a similar story, and I hope that really changes. Um, I was obviously in law enforcement, and uh, my sergeant at the time ended up going into city trains, which is RailCorp, and running the transit officer functions, so still a very security law enforcement type. Uh, and he said to me, come on board, come come on board and, and just Come with me and, and run, run run the show, run the uh the, the teams that we're going to set up. And um I hated it. I said yes I'll do it because um he had a really great talk walked the talk uh and you know for the first six months I absolutely hated my life because I went through a very uh glamorous um I was in the dog squad I was in the bomb squad I was in the counterterrorism first response squad um so I had a, a you know I had a really interesting career um so when I jump let's you know the white elephant in the room is transport pays really well uh and that enticed me he said come on board you'll get a lot more money uh you know I was living in Sydney it's a really incredible expensive lifestyle uh, and I hated it and for six months I really disliked it and then I got through that six months and uh I got to do stuff that I never got to do before I got to attend um you know fatalities slip trips and falls um pregnant women giving birth um, I got to um, be the commander of major incidents like derailments, and this was incredible stuff. And I fell in love with it within 12 months. Um, I love the transport industry; it is bigger than what I am. Uh, and and COVID is a classic example. You know, when I when we were running the services during COVID, it was the vulnerable people of community that were on there. It wasn't the suits. It wasn't the people that have cars. It was the vulnerable people. It was the wheelchair passengers. It was the elderly going to the doctors. It was the nurses going to hospitals really early in the morning. And that is what drives me. This is a public service that is essential. It's like switching off water. Uh, It's not going to happen because there are people that really rely on this service. Uh, And I love that. That's what drives me. I'm part of something that's much bigger than myself. Uh, That's bigger than anything I ever imagined in my career. Uh, And I get up every day knowing that I'm doing something greater uh, than just, you know, a career career that I love, obviously, Uh, but I'm contributing on a mass scale. uh, and, And I love it.
2: Isn't it great to go home? I felt like actually earlier in my career, I felt this more than the, the later jobs, but I had a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction inside, kind of intrinsic satisfaction of helping others, which I think we all have inside of us, right? It's the golden yes. rule, right? Do you want others, you'd have them do to you, and we are helping them. And Do you feel that still, Magda, even as a general manager?
0: Oh, 100%. Because, you know, when, when lockdowns happen, I'm not that general manager that stays at home. Right. Uh, I- Come in here to support my crew because they've got to see that they're led by a team that is supportive. And often people say to me, uh, you know, but it's COVID and, and you're exposing your workforce. We've obviously got redundancy in there where we've got the rosters and people are separated. Uh, my message to my team though, at that time is, I'm here for you. Uh, it is whatever you want. I'm in the office, I'm here for you. I don't want my team to think, you know, when a lockdown happens, everyone disappears. My leadership team. Is given a direction to stay at home. Uh, but I am here every day, every hour, just to support them because they're going through something also. And I don't want them to think that as a business, uh, I'm not gonna be there. And I love it, love it, love it.
2: Leading from the front. That's awesome. Samantha, tell us about your journey. And you kind of told us a little bit about it, but tell us a little bit more what attracted you to our industry
1: and back into the industry. Uh, And what motivates you to stay here? So 10 years ago was the first time that I'd actually joined Transport. So I was um, in industrial relations. So I led like cases and did legal work. And I joined Sydney Trains actually when Howard had just joined. And I joined Sydney Trains as the organisation was stood up. And I was leading the IR cases in the customer service space. And, it was just a really fast-paced environment that i enjoyed but the opportunity to solve complex problems was what i absolutely loved there was such benefit i think at that time i came into really well-established teams people who had worked together for 20 years and i came in with fresh eyes and i had worked in different industries and people were really welcoming in that space and actually wanted to talk about well how can we do this differently and It was an incredible period where I got so much exposure because I, you know, I ran 100 IR cases. We introduced Opal ticketing. We absolutely changed the way we delivered for customers. We went from 77 to 90 percent customer satisfaction, and IR was a key enabler for it. And it was just it got into my blood. Like there was something about. I had never actually up until that point even caught trains like I I was not into public transport earlier on. And I started spending so much time in like the transport space that I, I ended up getting rid of my car like later on because I just started catching so many trains and actually really loving it but I've always gone between industries. So for me, it's really important for my personal development to always keep learning different things. So I've gone into the private sector, I've really wanted to know how to actually grow revenue, how to actually truly own a PL so that when I would come back to transport, I could always be a better leader for transport and for the people that we serve. So, The thing that has always drawn me back, and I know this about myself, is sometimes I have to move out to learn different things, but my heart is always staying in transport. So right before I leave, I always go to whichever senior leader I can find, and I give them a list of, here are the things that I was able to, with a great team, achieve. Please don't forget me. Once I've got enough experience and learnt new things, I'm trying to come back. So in about two years, you'll hear from me, and that has been the pattern for me. In my professional life, I've come back three times. This is the third time. Um, and it, it is just the opportunity to actually, uh, like, be in a matrix environment and really just find so many people with amazing kind of backgrounds and skill sets and bring them together to solve the problems. People who have solved huge problems for me when I was a director of train crewing, a driver built us a platform to actually be able to associate crew to rolling stock and actually be able to recover the network better. I just, I've always found that the people in transport are the best people. They're the people who are willing to share their expertise with you. They're the people who are so like solutions oriented that you just have to find the people and together you can kind of solve the problem. So that's why I always come back and I feel very, very strongly this time as well because it's a whole of ecosystem role that this isn't going to be a quick, turn around and getting everything together. This will be a role that will really take me some time within this great team to actually truly make a mark and have this multimodal legacy that we can deliver together. But it's something that's very doable.
2: (laughs) It's interesting too how you kind of curate your own career. You know, a lot of people kind of just follow the river wherever it takes them. uh, And others make decisions along the way. Just as a comparison point, my buddy Andy Byford at TFL uh, has done that. He's told me about how he how he planned out his career and said, "I need experience in this area. I need experience in that area." Like you were saying, you know, I want to get P and L experience. There. I need experience in that, and then I'll be fully rounded as a leader. So then I'll be a great, you know, head of Toronto, New York, and now London. And Samantha, Samantha, you're doing the same thing. I I, I really um I find that fascinating. That's a great approach to life. I think. How about you, Michelle? Tell me about uh, the journey into your role. and What's attracted you to our industry? Why are you so passionate about it?
3: Thanks, Paul. You actually mentioned something earlier, right, around how equality is fundamental to transport. It's becoming a global focus in a way that it never has before. And I'm such a strong believer in public transport and how it can change people's lives and give them access to work, to school, shopping, medical care, meeting with friends and family, I mean, that's what drives me. You know, I've got a story I wanna share. The first woman who inspired me was my grandma, my my bubba, right? I've got a Macedonian background. And one of my earliest memories when I was four or five years old, was catching the tram with my grandma from her suburb in inner Melbourne to get into the city to go shopping at the really big the really big department store in Melbourne, right? It was called Maya, uh, still is there, but it, it's not quite the same as what it used to be. It used to be this mecca, right, just an amazing place. And my grandma, you know, who's now in her 80s, a migrant woman, came here as a child, couldn't speak English, never learnt how to drive. Transport gave her freedom, right, freedom to move and freedom to live and, and I saw that and I believe that, right? That's what motivates me. Now, it's not like when I was a kid, I woke up one day and I was like, I want to work in public transport, right? Kids wake up and are like, I want to be a superhero. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor, a fireman, whatever that is, right? You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a journalist, actually. And I studied communications. And while I was uh, studying, I interned at a really big newspaper. I realized I didn't want to be a journalist. I'd always thought about being a lawyer. I thought, you know what, I'm 21, I'm not ready to go into the workforce, I'm going to go study law. And I went and studied law, and to be honest, fantastic training ground. And just like Sam, I know she started out in the legal profession as well, but I wanted to solve problems, I wanted to make a bigger impact on a bigger scale. Um, So I actually moved working into the justice sector first in policy and communications roles. I then went and worked in emergency management, which I just loved you know, helping communities recover from bushfires, floods, working in public health, preparing for counterterrorism Really great work. But there was something in me that was just driving me to create more of a positive forward-looking impact on cities, as opposed to reacting what was going on. And so funnily enough, I went on a holiday and I was sitting in Byron Bay and you know, Byron Bay is like this, like, you know, celebrity beachside place in Australia, right? You know, it's just um, an incredible place, incredibly inspirational kind of place in terms of the vibe. And I literally was sitting in the hinterland overlooking the ocean. And I thought I'm gonna work in public transport, just literally out of the blue, right? And I decided that I was gonna make a change. And I came back home to Melbourne And funnily enough, there were like 18 jobs advertised in public transport, you know, that done a restructure, you know, in, in, in Victorian government. And I thought, this is a sign. And I was lucky. I got one of the roles and it just went from there. And I have no regrets. I love it. I have no doubt that I'll continue to have a career in transport. It inspires me. I get to make an impact. But you know what? Most importantly, is that I love the people I get to work with and I get to meet that are just such incredibly passionate people working in transport. And, you know, and I love that. Right. So, you know, I just feel like every day and every year um, I get to really grow as a person and make a larger contribution.
2: Awesome. Thank you for that. So I'm going to ask uh, Catherine the same question. And then when, when she's done, we're going to do one more kind of not quite a lightning round, but let's say it's a thunder round and <laughs> ask each of you to give one piece of advice, Um, to anyone who wants to be a leader, particularly female leaders, making their way up the ladder in transport. And I'd like you to focus on what this piece of advice would be, what would propel them forward in their career? What would give them impetus to, to fire up the ladder of success and think about that because that's what people need. I want to hear what you have to say about that. I have a couple of thoughts of my own I might share, but but I want to hear what you have to say, especially particularly to female leaders. Catherine, tell us about your journey into this role. What attracted you to transport as an industry and what motivates you to stay here and to continue to make a difference in this tough job? Being a COO might be the toughest job in the industry. Go ahead. Next to a driver. <laughs> so.
4: well, look, um, railways are in my blood. My grandfather was a fireman during World War II on the trains. My father spent all of his working career in rail, my two uncles, and my brother did for a bit, but he's now the black sheep of the family, and he moved out to go and do mortgage broking. So uh, we won't talk about that. But I, um, I joined rail in the late 80s um, in a very different environment to what we have today. So um, when I joined, women were either in the typing pool or in very junior clerical positions, and I started at at the absolute bottom of the rung. Um, But I didn't regret it at all. My father suggested to me that I should consider an opportunity. It was a safe job, is what he said to me, a nice, safe, long-term job. Um, And I've I've been very fortunate in my career. I have uh, moved around a lot. To, to get more experience. I've worked in both heavy haul, so coal, iron ore, freight trains, uh, and I've also worked in passenger. It's been really exciting though, because I've also had the opportunity as I've gotten more senior to be able to shape the future, uh, not only for our people, but our passengers, particularly in this role. And I'm a really big advocate of getting more women into transport and helping to uh, make the, the workforce more diverse. I'm really pleased to say at Metro, we've now got over 28% women in our organisation and over 32% of our senior leaders are women. So I've got a, a fantastic jam for passenger experience. I've got a number of heads of who are really inspiring women who've done some great things. And to be able to open up those opportunities to those women who got their roles on merit um, has just been fantastic. We've also had the opportunity to grow around social inclusion. So we provide employment opportunities for those people that are in a less um, ideal circumstance. So refugees, um, asylum seekers, we provide targeted employment for those individuals into into our organisation. And it's really about making our company um, as diverse as the people that are travelling on our trains. Um, If I think about what gets me up every day, I know that what I do and my team does will make our passengers' journey easier. Um, we want to provide the best service we can, and that—that's something that um, I just find is—is is exciting. No day is the same, um, and it really provides that opportunity. I, I get a lot out of serving serving our passengers and trying to make their journey. Um, ideally unremarkable um, and well-informed. <laughs> um, and to answer your question to help out there, what piece of advice would I provide to women and, and particularly leaders as they they uh, move up the ladder? I, I, as I said, I've been around the, the place a while now, just over 30 years. Work hard, study hard. You need to invest in yourself um, and be prepared to, to own your career. Don't wait for someone to to lead you to roles, but think about the roles that are going to be interesting to you. You want something that's going to get you up out of bed and be passionate about every day. And if you're not doing that, then look for a different role because um, there are so many opportunities out there in transport and and particularly rail for women. Um, And take on the challenging roles. That's the other thing I, i found is that some women, they'll wait and say, oh, I've only got, half or three quarters of what's in that position, I won't apply. I say to them, you got half of it, go for it. Uh, You need to challenge yourself. And and when you're feeling uncomfortable, you're growing. Uh, And that's That's uh, that's how you get to bigger roles.
2: That's good, Catherine. I like that. How about you, Magda? What piece of advice would you give young women moving up in the industry?
0: Uh, Well, I think Catherine really summed it up. Um, the, the thing that I'll probably add is um, just be fierce. Uh, there's a really wonderful video Catherine played um, during one of her presentations, which is uh, Zena, the Princess Warrior, and, and that's how you've got to you know, you've got to lead your career with that. You've got to be you've got to be fierce. You've got to be powerful. Be confident. Um, like Catherine said, if, if it's fifty percent, it's fifty percent. Fake it till you make it but just own it because there'll be people that will support you. The thing in transport is you're surrounded by teams. So if you do step up next, next letter, there'll be people around you that will support you. We, we are a kind world. Um, don't let yourself, don't feel like you'll be on your own. There'll be always around people, a team around you that will get you up there. Um, just negotiate. Um, think like a man, act like a lady. Um, you know, you just got to be powerful. Do the thing that is the right thing to do uh, and just be fierce. I love it.
1: Thank you. Samantha? Thanks. I'd say find what it is that you love. So it's easier to progress if you love it because you'll do all of the things that you need to actually do to get yourself to the jobs that you want, but that's only where you've got a true passion for it. So I would also just say really look for people who will support you and who will advocate for you. The thing that has really been amazing for me in my career is that I have been able to find those people and they've found me who will absolutely support you, who, you know, we all see the means of, you know, find the people who will say your name in a room full of opportunity. And it's it's those people that I've always looked to surround myself with. And I've also looked for organisations where the leadership has resonated with me, because those people who are the custodians of culture, they really set what an organization is going to be like for people within it and what your journey will be throughout it so i've always looked for organizations that are led by people that i admire so that's why i've come back to transport that's why i was at sydney trains there was there were people in leadership who led in a way that really resonated for me so that's my advice really be really kind of use your discretion in how you move through your career thank you Michelle?
3: Thanks, Paul. In a similar vein, actually, to what Magda was talking about, I would say be bold and back yourself. You know, I truly believe you can't expect people to back you if you're not prepared to back yourself. Your mindset and belief in your abilities, I believe, is what will take you far in your career. You'll build your skills along the way. You'll build your networks on the way. But having that mindset that you can do anything you put your mind to which is true, right? The evidence now indicates that every person can become a professional in something that they apply themselves to, right? So believe in yourself, back yourself, and, and you will get to your dream job.
2: Wonderful. And do you feel like you're in your dream job now, Michelle?
3: Absolutely. I mean, Paul, I'm so lucky. I'm in the best job. I love my job, but also I've had incredible jobs for many years. Um, I always pick a job that makes my heart feel like Um, oh, this is something I can contribute, right? So I'm I'm very lucky. You know, it's almost like I get this feeling that my heart skips a beat and I'm like, okay, this is the job I'm going to do.
2: That's good. It resonates with the inside, yeah. That's Mm -hmm. a great advice, ladies. Uh, Let me just share mine real quickly too uh, for anyone who wants to move ahead in the industry. And I would say what propels you is first to vision. Having a vision that's big enough that you can inhabit it and be passionate about it. Two would then be the ability to focus. So many people cannot focus on something for very long. If you can focus on what you want and do the homework that's necessary, just like these ladies have said. So if you have that vision and then the focus in on how to make that happen, living and breathing an internally congruent life, I think that gives you the power that actually propels you forward. And that's what these four wonderful women leaders have done. Uh, throughout their career Magda robertson general manager of Torrens connect samantha abedira who's executive director of uh, strategic operations at new south wales catherine baxter chief operating officer of metro trains melbourne and my good friend michelle batts executive director of uitp australia new zealand thank you so much for opening up your hearts today and sharing with our listeners around the world uh the passion you have for public transportation how it makes a difference in other people's lives and where we're going in the future thank you
4: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth. I'd especially like to thank our guests, Magna Robertson, Sam Abedira, Michelle Batsis, and Catherine Baxter. Their insights were truly amazing. I think everyone can get something out of this episode that will help change their lives and change their careers. Next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we're speaking with David Harris, Director of Transport and Rail for the Department of Transportation in New Mexico. So until next week, hope everyone rides safe and rides happy.